Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We thank you for joining us. We're recording this on Wednesday night, March 31st. Oh my God, tomorrow's April Fool's Day, guys. Otherwise known as National Stay Off of Twitter Day. Otherwise known as what? Otherwise known as, like, tomorrow is not either of those things. What are you talking about? What it's is ba- tomorrow? What it's is an- tomorrow, Jeff? Well, for April the record, for- it's April, April 1st, 1st, Thursday. It's UCF Pro Day. Hello. Uh, can't forget about Pro Day. We are recording this on a Wednesday night, but yeah, National Stay Off Twitter Day. I'm so disappointed. Also, I'm so disappointed in all of you. It's, it's <laughs> why? Baseball opening there day. you go. Uh, oh, yeah, well, that's happening. Well, we would be, that. Murph, we would be promoting that more, but as we'll get into it later, uh, there's not a lot of UCF guys in the big leagues to start. <laughs> no, there is not. All right. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we've got a lot to talk about in what was a very, uh, a very good week for a few uh, sports out here for UCF. Softball, massive week, went five and zero. Eric Lopez. That's correct, baby. And obviously, we know they beat uh, they beat Florida, but then they go and they sweep four from Houston, two of them in walk off fashion. Volleyball finished up an undefeated conference season. Uh, we'll hear from Coach Todd Dagenet. Men's tennis. They knocked off Wake Forest after their huge weekend against uh, some teams out west where they uh, they knocked off three ranked opponents on the road, four ranked opponents in a row now that they've that they've knocked off. Uh, we'll hear from Gabe DeCamps and uh, Director of Tennis John Roddick. Plus, we'll talk about UCF Pro Day and more. But let's start. Gentlemen, UCF softball. Holy smokes. What is happening out here, Eric Lopez? So they, they get the big win against Florida. And here's how here's how we know this win was big, Eric. All right. I had a bunch of people. All right. So I'm at my son's little league game. And I had a bunch of people coming up to me saying, hey, did you watch that softball game between UCF and Florida? That was an amazing game. That was the best softball game I've ever seen. You were right, Elo. Yeah, eyes are being drawn toward UCF softball based on that, based on that victory. And then what do they do to follow it up? Exactly what they need to. They play Houston at home and they sweep them four in a row. Uh, you were doing the games. Two of them were in uh, were in walk off fashion, uh, including the finale on Sunday. They got the doubleheader win on Friday. They had to. It wasn't easy. They had to come back a couple times in order to do that. But here they are, four zero in conference to start out. They won six in a row. They are twenty four. 
and six overall. And what does that get them in the rankings, Eric Lopez? It keeps them in the twenties, apparently, in the rankings. That's what it what? does. What? <laughs> what? Well, I, I'm, here's the thing. I mean, first of all, I've ripped softball polls for many years, so I'm not. You shocked. ripped everything with softball. I'm not surprised by that. That's why it's really kind of a weekly running. It's like a weekly running segment now. I, I know. What, really what part of yeah. softball is Eric going to go after this week? Because they don't yeah. coaches. The softball coaches don't do any research. They don't do anything about that. So I'm, you know. And here's the thing, okay? And I'm glad you brought this up. Because everybody wants to bash the football. Oh, the football polls, they're they're biased. Oh, the playoff system's all rigged. You realize that football actually, in 2020, ranked UCF, SMU, Cincinnati, all right, Tulsa, San Jose State, Louisiana Lafayette, Coastal Carolina. My point is, they're not shy to rank teams from out of the Power Five into the Top 25, unlike softball which refuses to do that and i would argue all women's sports refuse to do that because they're stupid and that's in softball is a great example there's two ranked teams out of the top in the top 25 that are not power conference teams that's ucf and louisiana lafayette and i would argue the reason they're ranked is because of the brands they have there's other teams like texas state that i won't you know you can listen to my In the Circle podcast and listen to the rest of it. But there are other teams that should be ranked that are not. But these are the same coaches that continue to vote for a team like Auburn, who is like the not in the top 25, even though they're one of the bottom teams in the SEC. But then they're going to complain in two months when the SEC has all 13 teams in the NCAA tournament. So that's the issue with softball. That's why the rankings are a joke. And that's why I always defend the football side because people think football is that bad. No, trust me. And we'll hear from Todd Dagenet about this later because I know we're going to get into the volleyball polls. It's way worse, way worse in the top, in the in 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 the Olympic sports. Way worse. LSU. I mean, I'm, all right. So UCF is 22nd in the uh, National Fast Pitch, Co- Fast Pitch Coaches Association <laughs> USA Today poll, which. Uh, which means they moved up exactly zero spots after beating Florida, who's the number five team in the country. And Florida didn't move down. Well, I don't have a problem with that. They went three and one. They swept LSU. I don't have an issue with that. UCF should have moved. I've never seen. Yeah, they they swept LSU. LSU's 18 and 11. That's fine. But I'm not going to punish Florida. Hell, if I'm UCF, I want Florida to stay in the top five. Are you kidding me? Makes our win look better. UCF did not move, though. That's That's the highlight right there you just said. They did not move going 5-0 and with a win over a top-five team. That is insane. But that tells you how clueless they are. And, and it's a serious problem. And, we'll, again, I think women's sports in particular, for whatever the reason, have a hard time figuring out this kind of stuff. And I don't know what it is. I think it's laziness, personally. I don't think they know how to do the research. I think they kind of just go by, you know, they just fall back on things. I at least give credit to baseball and sock men's soccer and football and men's basketball. They try to actually vote mid-major teams for whatever reason. The women's sports, and I'm not. This is not a sexist comment. This is reality here. This is real. Look at all the women's sports, and you notice the same trends. It's the same yeah. trends. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about what we learned from this four-game set. This is the first yeah. time that UCF has has played a four-game conference series now. Um, you were concerned about the pitching and how that would shake out, um, but it seemed to work out just fine for UCF overall. How did, how did this? 
what were the big differences this week in the four game versus what we've seen forever, which is a three game series? Um, and what was UCF able to work out this week that you think will help them going forward? The irony is people might be surprised by this comment, but I think their most significant win of the week was on Sunday against, and it's not because of the opponent. It's not because of how they won, but because of what happened in that game and what happened in that Sunday's game was Brianna Vasquez came in relief of Gianna Mancho had some quote control issues. I call it the umpires not knowing the rule book and telling the batters to get out of the box. Anyway, um, there it is, Murph. We've got we got the umpires. We got the polls. Who are we? I got missing? a few. I have a beverage drink, Murph. In your honor, right? <laughs> you have a beverage drink. That is what we like to call redundancy in our business. Departments uh, of redundancy my, department. Yes, my ears. But, my ears are bleeding. My ears are bleeding now. <laughs> Thank you. But so they're down three to one, but they brought in Brianna Vasquez in relief and she threw three shutout innings, allowed them to come back and pull the game out. I think that's very significant, Jeffrey, because, you know, Aliyah, you know what needed that big confidence booster. Yeah. You know, and I think if you can get her going now, you've got three pitchers and nobody else in the American can say that in a four game series. I think that's a significant development. They needed that. Coach Bear even admitted that in the post game, which you can watch on our YouTube page on Black and Go Banneret. I think they know that was a significant moment for Brianna because she could be a huge asset to this team moving forward. And they need that. You can't just run Aliyah and Gianna throwing up two games each weekend. Uh, you're going to need extra innings from somebody else. And if Brianna could do what she did on Sunday and that be the beginning, I think that's huge for this team as far as conference championship implications. The uh, What about at the plate here? Because, uh, you know, the, I mean, we've seen it time and time again. You know, UCF's bats are what have saved yeah. them this year. And they did it again this week, didn't they? Well, let's start with Jada Cody. Who's, what a week. Imagine the week Jada Cody had. She had the tying RBI double in the bottom of the seventh in the Florida game. She hits the walk-off home run in the bottom of the eighth in the Friday's first game of the doubleheader against Houston. She hits a two-run homer in Saturday's game that turns that game around. And then in that scenario, then on Sunday, you know, she plays great defense. That's why she was the D1 softball national player of the week, uh, yeah. to have her step up. That's significant. And then the offense finding ways. And then in the bottom of the seventh in Sunday's game, Justine Molina, 0-2 pitch, pokes a ball into right field for a hit. You have a situation with Jasmine Esparza. Murph, you'll love this. Mm -hmm. They tried to bunt her with, yep. the, with a runner at first. They did it, it fouled it off. She it didn't work. So but she kept fouling pitches off. And then on a 3-2 pitch, what did she do? She hits a double to go second and right. What does that prove, Murph? Never bunt, guys. Never <laughs> there bunt. You there you go. Never bunt. Uh, and then Searcy on a two strikes gets a ball down to the right side off the glove of the second baseman. That's how they get to two runs. So pretty significant to get the the, the timely hitting there, Jeffrey and Murph. Two out, a uh, two strike hitting, which is something Coach Ball Malone has stressed to her team and talked about in their approach. You know, we talk a lot about two strike approach and two strike hitting. And um, there are times that maybe we don't shorten up in the game. Um, and, and you saw that a little bit when we hit some of those deep fly balls to the fence. Um, I think it was in the third and fourth inning. Uh, but when we need to put the game in motion, then we do shorten up and just work on putting the ball in play and putting pressure on the defense and um, shoot, maybe we should do it early in the game so that we don't have these gray hairs growing. But um, yeah, it just, it, it attributes definitely to 
their focus when we do work on these things in our hitting circuits and just being able to do it and take deep breaths. And you, you know, you saw it, you mentioned um, two seniors and then a freshman. So just for the, for the freshmen to be able to watch those seniors do that and keep their composure, um, it really helps our younger kids uh, be able to learn that at a very quick level and, you know, be, be able to come out on top with it. That was uh, Coach Bear in the post game there. But that's the thing. This team finds ways to win games, guys. And that's an example right there. Timely hitting, two-strike hitting, good pitching, good defense. They've made enough plays against a Houston team that obviously played hard. I don't think UCF played their best, but they found a way to win four games, which is not easy. I know some people in the social media, hey, the, your reverse jinx. I really didn't expect this four-game sweep. Um, <laughs> but they got it. And they got some help this weekend because East Carolina, for example, took a game from Wichita State, which I wasn't expecting. So uh, good start for them. Big to kind of follow up that Florida win with the four-game sweep of Houston there to get themselves off to a good start because now they got to go on the road for a nine-game road trip highlighted by eight straight against conference foes. So Yeah, it, the, it, the first one coming up is going to be uh, Tulsa, too. And uh, they actually they haven't played anything in conference right yet. Correct. Tulsa, but Tulsa, they're nine yeah. and seven on the year. Correct. The seven team league, so somebody's always going to have an off weekend. It just so happens Tulsa did not have conference last weekend, so this will be their debut. They're kind of an up and down team. They have a new pitching coach in Paige Parker, a new two net former two national two time national champion at Oklahoma. Christy Strimples in her second year head coach. Tulsa, as we all know, we've documented on this podcast. Not an easy place to play if you're a UCF sports team, all right? Oh, and yeah, that includes yeah. softball. That includes softball. That. What's the bit? What's, what is so hard about playing there? Is it the wind? And the wind change. I mean, the weather does change. You're right. Because one minute it could be perfect skies, no wind. And next thing you know, there's a tornado warning five minutes later. And then it could be windy. That ballpark is kind of goofy. It's a little weird. It's about doubles. Really, it favors doubles hitters. Um, not the easiest place to get to. Like, you kind of have to do connecting flights. It's a little lengthy. So I think it's a combination of things if somebody has experienced it. And let's be real, Tulsa is not really the most exciting place to be at. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Right, Murph? Well, yeah, and Eric, I wanted to go to double back on something. I think I found a solution to your coach's poll or to your poll issue. They need to do what football does, which is basically just assign an intern the ability to watch some games and find out what's actually going on in the sport. And then have that person rank the teams Amen. and make it seem like the coach is ranking the teams, but the coach never does because the coach never pays attention anyway. And listen, give them a subscription to ESPN Plus. Give them a bundle, whatever, because that you can watch a lot of softball there, including UCF. Just saying, you could just, you know, that you can watch games on softball. It's not like the old days where you couldn't, you didn't know idea like games were not on streaming or you can, TV. You can watch softball and, more importantly, listen to the broadcast. That's oh. right. Oh, cheap plug. That's right. <laughs> Uh, here's, uh, here's coach bear talking about, uh, what UCF has coming up this week with the Tulsa golden hurricane on the road. I think that again, we're, here we go. We lucked out because our conference tournament is going to be in Tulsa. And so it's going to be, you know, we're going to be able to get the lay of the land, uh, in four games. I hope <laughs> that that will allow us to get the lay of the land. Um, and then we'll, I, I just love that we have the opportunity to go do that and then be able to play there again. And it's, it's kind of like, familiar and similar to them. So, um, and then as, as far as going to ECU, you know, I, I don't care if Tulsa dropped a few games yesterday, Tulsa and ECU, they're tough. They are, um, I don't want to say scrappy because I don't want to 
people to think disres that's disrespect, but like they're just that thorn in your side. They will not leave even if you're ahead. And that happened to us two years ago when I was um, for my first time with the American Conference. You know, we were ahead against Tulsa. I think we had the opportunity to sweep and we did not take one game. So um, that's something that sticks in my mind. And with ECU the same, you know, we've got um, I think we did sweep on that that year in 2019. But I remember those games being like they're one swing away from taking this from us. So. Yeah, so that's Coach Bear talking about uh, the, the troubles that she had that UCF has had in the past at Tulsa and at ECU. Oh yeah, uh, in this in this upcoming road trip. So this is a real, this is going to be a real test. These eight games, right? And then yeah, the, you, the ninth game is Florida too, right? Rematch the rematch April fourteenth. Yeah. So a long nine game road trip. You don't see that often. In, you won't in conference play. An eight game trip. So very difficult. Very tricky. Uh, Tulsa is not an easy place to play there, so we'll see how they can come out on this trip here. And then after Florida, Wichita State comes, which you could, some might argue might be the two best teams in the league. If it's not them, it's South Florida. I think those are your three title contenders. So this is a really tricky, tough stretch here for this team, and I'll be curious how they handle the road environment. You know, they're right now they've set themselves up in a good spot. They're in the 20s RPI-wise. You know, they're in the top 25 polls. Uh, they're in good position here. But you don't well that it could it could kind of snowball on the negative route here if you struggle on the road. So this Tulsa series will be very interesting and tricky because you know Tulsa will be ready to play. Uh, where are we going to be able to see these games, Eric? ESPN Plus, everybody, make sure you voters out there, you know, get a subscription. It's a really good deal. <laughs> you can watch softball and it helps you vote. You know, it's a nice concept to watch teams play. Uh, very good. So you know, just just suggestion, just a suggestion there. So it'll be on ESPN Plus. Uh, for Tulsa. I don't know who's calling. I wonder if our friend Bruce Howard will be calling. I don't know that, but uh, we'll see what happens uh, with that story. And then obviously one of the developing stories that I'm working on, uh, I'll give you a snippet here on Banneret. We might find out in the next couple of weeks that the regionals and super regionals for softball could be predetermined sites. Yeah. Just like we've seen with all the other sports too. Yeah. Right? I don't think it'll go as far as one city. I think what they're going to do is have cities. I think they're going to have teams host, uh, put bids in, and see, kind of show that they have the proper protocols and things like that. And you know, how many people are in attendance? Can they bring fans in? This is going to cause a lot of controversy because there's there's going to be a lot of conspiracies as the SEC gets a favoritism. <laughs> the Big Ten, which is only playing conference only, do they get a spot, all predetermined hosting spot, even though they're not even, you know, they're not playing out of conference? So we're headed for more uh, people being annoyed with. And I would assume baseball may have to go the same route because if they don't, uh, well, they'll, they'll hear about it. So we'll mm. see. All right. All right. So that'll put the lid on softball for now. By the way, the schedule is a little bit weird. It's a Thursday, uh, 6 p.m. first game. The doubleheader will be on Friday, 4 and 6 Eastern. And then Saturday noon, the fourth right. game of the series. Yep. Holidays. So it's yeah. Holidays. Thursday. Yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They're back home for Easter Sunday. So uh, pushed up a day, everything. But you'll be able to see that first game, 6 p.m. from Tulsa on ESPN+. Plus. Also this weekend, let's talk about a little UCF volleyball, shall we? Uh, the Knights swept uh the uh, uh usf bulls this past week to finish off the regular season uh they finished with one loss the whole year the record right now uh as they stand they're at 14 or 14 and one overall 
eight and zero in conference, and these are the uh, numbers that I wanted to pull up here because, if, if, first of all, credit to Coach Todd Dagenet, credit to his coaching staff, credit to the players for the unusual circumstances that they've been dealing with throughout the season. Guess what? They were able to roll through it. Their only loss was a five-setter to Florida State in Tallahassee that I think if you ask them, they would be like, hey, we should have won this thing. But uh, here, here's, some, here's by the numbers you see at volleyball at the end of the regular season. You guys ready for this? They've won 44 of 51 sets this season. They've won 24 out of 25 sets in conference play. Okay? They've won 75 of their last 90 overall going back to the 2017 season. And this one's my favorite one. UCF against teams from the American Athletic Conference has won 49 of their last 51 matches. 49 of the last 51 against teams from the American. That's a stunning, stunning stretch of success uh, for this team over the past, really, three seasons. And uh, and it continued on uh, against uh, USF. But now, here comes the hard part, right, Eric Lopez? Because with a 48-team tournament field, it's a four-team tournament in the American. UCF is in as the one seed from the East. Houston is the one seed from the West. UCF has to play the two out of the West. Uh, which is Tulane, once again, who they played twice earlier this year. Um, wasn't easy, by the way. But uh, UCF finds themselves in a situation where, again, they have to win this tournament, it feels like, in order to get into the NCAA tournament with that with that decreased field. Yeah, and all that stats don't matter if they don't take two wins this week because it is a little unique this year with the NCAA tournament in volleyball going down to 48. It's all in Omaha one location that kind of leaves a lot of room for error. And we've had our friends, uh, our Nebraska site, SB nation site at Nebraska did a really good article about it because, well, Murph, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's not like they got to cover football over there. Right. I mean, there's not, they don't have any good, right. I mean, oh, oh, wow. so you got to cover something you're good at. So volleyball, I guess count will have to do, um, but they made a great article about it. And there's been their coach over there in Nebraska and other coaches have been trying to petition, to push this tournament back up to 64. Guess what's not going to happen? Um, and it does create an interesting dynamic here in that there's going to be a lot of good teams that are going to miss the tournament because all the automatic bids for all the conferences are still in place. And I and it makes sense why you did that because you want to in, in motivate every conference to play the season. It also made sense when they made the decision. Yeah. The problem is, by reducing it to 48, you're losing 16 at-large teams. There are going to be some good teams that are going to miss the field, including teams that are ranked currently. So it there's not a lot of room for air. And if you will hear Todd Dagenet, even he knows, as he mentioned in his postgame on Saturday after the win against South Florida, he knows what this week means all up for this team because when it comes to the NCAA tournament, he knows where those at-large spits are probably going to go to. Our big goal was to run the table uh, in conference, run the table out of conference if we could, came close to that, and put ourselves in a position where we had the number one seed going in to the conference tournament. Now, as far as I'm concerned, we're undefeated. We're the only undefeated team in our conference. That makes us regular season champion as far as I'm concerned. Now, that means 
you know, we're, we're going to go and to Cincinnati and we have to play in a tough tournament. The AAC, because there's only 16 at-large bids, AAC is probably on the outside looking in. And I think that's a disgrace, but that's the way it's going to be. Um, because um, you're going to see the more entitled programs who really didn't play anybody but themselves, you're going to see the bids get doled out that way, just because that's the way it is in Olympic sports. So we're going in it with the mindset that we have to win this championship to go on to the NCAA tournament. He's right. He's right. Everything he said is correct there. Yep. And, and that's kind of the, the dilemma that they're in. So, and, you know, this is the other thing, and I'm going to defend Todd on this. For those that were trying to clamor, remember these, those episodes where we we're discussing about the Olympic sports probably going into a more of a regional schedule in the future and it, it could work. Here's a reason. Here's an example why it won't work. Todd has to schedule nationally to mm -hmm. get recognition. The reason why UCF's not ranked in the volleyball post, I know that you're upset about that, is because they don't have a marquee win in their league. And part of that is not his fault. He's handcuffed. He had to re to schedule ge geography-wise. He lost some marquee opponents that he would have played in a normal season, which we won't get into, but we it's marquee teams. Trust me. If he would have won some of those, he'd be ranked. The problem is he had to settle for scheduling teams like FAU, who ended up going 2-12 and 12 this year. Jacksonville won like three games. Miami bailed on them. That's why regional scheduling will never work. You have to schedule nationally to get respect and tennis has proven that as we'll get into that so let me defend todd on that so for those ideas people are like oh well you know ucf should just play the jacksonvilles of the world and the stetsons of the world in volleyball and softball nonsense that's never going to work because you're going to get shafted at the end so unfortunately because of all that combination i do think he's got to win this tournament you do not want this to be led uh, up to the committee here on a sunday in a year where, especially here jeffrey where there is no Florida host. There is no Florida State hosting. This is all in Omaha. And Murph, you're right. a geography expert. Orlando, Florida is kind of a far place to get to Omaha, isn't it? That's a dynamite way to somehow shoehorn, shoehorn me into this conversation. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like far. would you see it, well, it's, it's comparison to some of the Big Ten teams, etc. Big Twelves. Yeah. Well, I mean. In the case, so in the case, so insofar as you know, UCF doesn't have that little slight geographic advantage of being able to bust Florida. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and and that goes back to one of the things we were talking about before. You know, you want to talk about how you know the uh, the non um, uh, non power conference teams are getting shafted left and right. Well, um, let's look at the AVCA poll. This week, which did not have UCF ranked, they are receiving votes. Uh, they are two spots behind uh, Florida State's five. Florida State five spots behind uh, out of being ranked. And you know, volleyball is a little weird where you have a number of you know so-called non-power schools that are powers in volleyball that get ranked every year. All right, um, Pepperdine, San Diego, ten are, are two of them. BYU is one. Hawaii always used to be one. Now Hawaii's not in the rankings this year, but, um, uh, but you know those are those are two those are the three teams that get ranked, you know, pretty consistently in any normal year, even though they're not power teams because they they show up. Well, they're kind of like Boise State in football, right? They're just always there. Well, in the case of UCF, you can't. It's hard to crack that ceiling. And they weren't ranked, despite, again, as I've mentioned, 
49 of the last 51 matches they've won against teams from their conference. They've completely dominated their conference. Um, they've shown themselves well in non-conference play as well. In the past. The problem, the past. The problem and, is this year. And I would, well, I would say this year, too. I mean, they've won all the matches, dominated the matches that they won. They took Florida State to five, and Tallahassee should have won the match, right? Right. But, uh, and they'll, they'll tell you that, that they should have won the match. But here they are standing on the outside looking in at the top 25 poll. You know, you want to have all those sort of ducks in a row just in case, and they just don't have that right now. Whether or no. not they will get that um, in uh, it, with the two ma- hopefully two matches that they play in the conference tournament, uh, we don't know. Um, it, it's, it's likely that they'll well, play Houston. Houston is playing Temple uh, in the semifinals. By the way, Temple, who snuck in in the last weekend and knocked out Cincinnati from the number two spot in the East, Cincinnati's hosting a tournament that they're not playing in. By the way, that's so correct. That's Which, huge, by the way, that's another huge development in the tournament, and that's another point Todd made. We should not even be having this conference tournament. This should not be taking place in a year like this, where one swing your season can come to an end after dominating the league. Todd and Todd has right. been a, against this conference tournament, and I think in a year like this, I think for volleyball it's bad. If you're gonna do it because you're playing in two divisions, it should have been just UCF and Houston. I I don't like the fact it's a four-team format. I don't like the fact how they've set up the conference tournament. But if there is a positive, UCF has played at that same arena already this season. In fact, arguably played their best match of the year when they swept Cincinnati on the road earlier this year. And I asked Todd Dagenet on the postgame if that perhaps gives them a little advantage that they've already played there, whereas teams like Tulane and Temple and Houston have not. I do think it's an advantage because um, anytime you go into a, a new arena, you have to get used to the sight lines. Um, Cincinnati is a basketball arena, beautiful basketball arena. You got to find out where the, the lights are. The lights are very bright there. Um, you got to find out where the ceiling is, where the scoreboard is. And so you have a practice where you, you throw the ball up and you hit the scoreboard. You want to see how high that is. You know, you want to set balls into the lights because you want to see how a set travels from the setter to the hitter. Is it in the bank of lights? And so we know that now. We, we already know that stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a nice floor to play on. It's a TerraFlex floor just like ours. Um, you know, last year I thought we were comfortable being there, but they were so good at that time that they really handed it to us when we were there. Um, this year when we went up there, I thought we were really comfortable. I thought we were well within our skin. I thought we stayed within ourselves, and I thought we had one of the best weekends that we had all year up there. It's still, I think that was our best weekend of the year up there. So I think we're very comfortable going up there. It's not an easy trip. It's a long trip to get to. Um, Cincinnati used to be an easy flight in and out, and all of a sudden it's it become hard now. So um, we're going to have to take our time to get up there, You know, just kind of get squared away, get our nerves under control. Um, we'll go up on Wednesday. We'll probably practice at a high school or a club or something. And then we'll have the official practice on Thursday and then get to work on Friday. That's Todd Dagenet right there. And he's right. I mean, I hope it works out. You know, they are the best team. I think they'll still win the league. I actually think Temple might upset Houston. Temple kind of gives, you know, I respect their yeah, coach a I lot. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. Uh, and Houston hasn't been the same team since they lost that Baylor match at home. They kind of limped in here a little bit. They but lost just, three of four coming in. Yeah. 
So I hope they turn it. I hope they can close the deal, win the conference, not have to worry about selection Sunday. They could just figure, you know, watch the show and maybe for the first time ever, not know exactly who they're going to play. I don't want to be in that other side there where you get upset in the final and you might get left out because that I think there's going to be ranked teams. There's going to be good teams. They're going to get left out because of the 48 team field being in Omaha. And I do believe that geography will play a role in that. Yeah. Uh, matchups for UCF in the first round against Tulane. They beat Tulane twice. This was back in early February, uh, back in February 5th and 6th. I did those games on, uh, uh, on, did you heard uh, that ESPN cheap plug Plus. there? You just heard there, Murph? Some yes. Cheap plug. If only, if only someone would hire me to do radio or PA, <laughs> I could cheap plug my way into this. Uh, but, uh, to Tulane's credit, uh, they, uh, one of the three sets that UCF has lost, against conference teams this year, uh, two of them were to Tulane. They uh, they beat the they beat Tulane in four both matches. So we, I, I thought Tulane was was pretty good. I, I didn't think that they'd quite found their stride just yet. UCF has been peaking and extending their peak the entire season. So I I, I have my concerns about Tulane. And then I think you're right. I mean, obviously Houston's good. If they can get back on track, that's a very good team that we saw. I mean, if you take Baylor to five, you know what you're doing. Um, but if they struggle it, 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 and UCF ends up having to face Temple, yeah, UCF wiped Temple out in Philly, uh, but Temple's coming in hot. Well, I think they're Temple. coming in with as much confidence right now as they've had throughout the season, and uh, Coach Gonnesarotinum in, uh, yep. in Philadelphia has done a masterful job, I think, in that program. I mean, they have no resources, and he's been, like, scraping pennies for years up there, right. and, and it's and it's finally, it feels like he's starting to get some traction in that program, it feels well, like. Well, and that Temple match you mentioned, yes, if you look at the box score, it was straight sets, but that was a misleading match. Like, Temple led a lot of those sets. UCF had to come yeah. from behind late to win it. It was not an easy sweep. So, I actually, that's a tougher matchup. I think you're right. If Houston plays to their potential, they can win. But you wonder, you know, they got to come all the way to Cincinnati. You know, I would not be surprised if an upset. I do agree with you. I'm not thrilled about the Tulane match being the matchup. In fact, Todd said even on the post game, he hopes Tulane didn't learn more about his team than he learned about them. Uh, right. So it's a nervous thing, man. It's a nervous deal here in conference tournament. And, and let's be real. As far as UCF's concerned and everybody in the American, the NCAA tournament starts this week. You're right. 100%. 100%. So Fifth Third Arena is the location, home of the Cincinnati Bearcats. The matches look like this. Tulane and UCF will be... 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday to start the semis, and that will be on. Everything will be on ESPN Plus. 2 p.m. Eastern, uh, ESPN Plus for the semis. UCF and Tulane, Temple and Houston follow them at five. Uh, the championship match will be Saturday, the next day, uh, April the third, and that will be on uh, ESPN Plus as well at 3 p.m. Eastern. So uh, if you're and then selection show Sunday, right? Selection, selection show Sunday. That's right. So UCF will play again Friday at 2 p.m. and then hopefully Saturday uh, at three in Cincinnati against 10 and nine Tulane, and then the winner of Temple and Houston. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about tennis. What's going right for UCF men's tennis? Boy, are they killing it out there right now? Won another match today against a ranked opponent, uh, and we'll talk about what's going on with baseball with Murph here. About yeah, Murph. You know, we're going to try and see, try and figure things out as the Knights uh, enter conference play against uh, South Florida. Stick around. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. Uh, follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. You can also follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. All right. Some more good news to talk about here uh, in the Olympic sports. UCF men's tennis is on a roll right now. An absolute roll. We talked about last week, guys, how... Um, this was their big show me week where they were going, uh, on the road for, they, they were, they played, uh, number 31, Arkansas at home to start, uh, last Wednesday to start this brutal stretch where they're playing seven ranked teams in a row. All right. Three of them on the, four of them on the road, three of them consecutively on the road. So they beat number 31, Arkansas six to one. Then they go on the road. They go to Dallas. They play number 48 SMU. Sweep them 4 nothing. That was on Friday. Next day, travel up to Norman, Oklahoma. Play number 24 Oklahoma. All right? Coach Roddick's old stomping grounds. What's he do? He and the guys beat, him, beat up on him 4 to nothing. All right? That was on Fox Sports Oklahoma, too. That was a nationally televised, uh, nationally televised match, too, if you, have, uh, if you have the Fox Sports package. Next day, they go to Oklahoma State, play number 18-ranked uh, Cowboys in Stillwater. What do they do? Beat them 4-2 to on Sunday. A few days off, come back home. They play the highest-ranked team out of this stretch, number 14 Wake Forest at home today on Wednesday. We're recording this on Wednesday, March 31st. And they beat them in dramatic fashion, 4-3. to Gabe DeCamps, who went undefeated this whole week. Number four player in the nation. Reigning uh, Nightcap Athlete of the Week award. Right. Reigning Nightcap Athlete of the Week. He got uh, he he took care of uh his match in three er, in three sets. Uh <clears throat> four six, uh seven six, six two. Uh and uh and that was actually, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, that was the clincher, actually, was uh was Gabe DeCamps getting that victory in singles. Um, to give UCF uh, the victory. Oh, and he beat uh, Henri Squire from Wake Forest, who's the number 13 ranked player uh, in, the, uh, <clears throat> in the nation in singles. By the way, a uh, little bit of a switch in the doubles teams for UCF. Um, Bogdan uh, uh, Pavel and Trey Hildebrand, who are combined ranked 29th in the country in doubles, uh, beat Squire and Eduardo Nava. They were the 13th-ranked doubles team in the country, and they beat them six to two in the uh, as uh, as part of the way to get the doubles point. So uh, again, a huge win for UCF uh, for UCF men's tennis. They leap in the ITA tennis rankings all the way up from the 20s to 13th. Eric Lopez, and here they stand with uh, they're going to Tampa to play South Florida. On Saturday and then April Sunday, at they're back home to face number twenty-five Tulane. Um, boy, this is a this is a hell of a stretch for them right now. That they are they're on absolute fire right now. 
They are. They're a national powerhouse now. They're a title contender. And let's start with bonafide De- national title contender. Yeah. 13th. And here's the story. Gabe DeCamps, uh, once again, with a big win. Unless you unless you want to disagree with me, Murph and Jeff, you can come up with a. But to me, Gabe DeCamps right now is the UCF Male Athlete of the Year. Like, it's not even close. Gabe DeCamps is doing things that's never been done before in the tennis program. Gabe DeCamps right now, not only is he helping UCF, become a national title contender on a team's concept standpoint. Gabe DeCamps right now is a national title contender when it comes to singles play. Yep. That's never happened before. Um, This kid's amazing, and he keeps getting better and better. He's the go-to guy. You know, if if you need a point, he's the guy you want to have the the ball match there. Um, And they have others, obviously. They're deep. They're talented. Coach Roddick knew they were kind of getting going, and here they are. and a remarkable story, if you look at Danny White's legacy, I keep saying this, his best hire that he has made was hiring John Roddick to run the tennis program for men's and women's. He's the director of tennis. He's the head coach on the men's side. He hired Brian Konecko for the women's. And here's the men's side here taking their own steps. We've seen the women do it. Now you got the men here. you got two top 16 tennis programs right now in the country here at UCF. They are a legitimate threat. I don't, you know, I don't know what the NCAA tournament outlook will be if there's going to be predetermined sites or not. But they're in the mix. If there's not, they're in the mix to host. They have a beautiful facility. Uh, this is a team that could go very, very far here in postseason. Yeah, they uh, are 13 and three right now on the season. Uh, let's listen to uh, Gabe DeCamps earlier today uh, after he got the clinching point to defeat uh, Wake Forest. Pure joy, you know. I mean. Uh, something fantastic. It's, it's a feeling that it's no words can describe this feeling. You know, all your teammates so happy, and obviously, like I won the match, was I'm happy, but I'm happy overall. Everyone, I mean, we've been competing so hard, and we deserve so much. We've been working so hard, so it's pure joy. And now there's no no limits for for UCF. Now, just keep going. No limits for UCF, he says. I think he's, he's right. He's right, and it's an example, again, how a national schedule can benefit you. Here's a tennis program, Olympic sport. Would they get these opportunities if you were if you limited them to just playing in the state of Florida? No, they wouldn't be getting these opportunities. But because they're allowed to play a national schedule, they can play Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. The people are finding out about this program, and this program is allowed to grow. And you got Gabe DeCamps who's allowed to grow, who to me, we're watching right now in live time. I think the greatest men's tennis player in the history of UCF. And this, Period. this program has had some good wins this year, but maybe this win is their best because of the way they did it. Not only who they beat, but if you look at the way that the, the, ten, the courts finished up today, they were out, they were behind three to one, basically meaning that they had to win all of the final remaining three matches in order to pull out the match. So they win the doubles match. Then they lose the first three matches in singles. And in those three losses in singles are all in straight sets. There's there's some some sets where it's six love, one set six one. Like they they there were some early early single sets where they got white. And then there's a three mat three matches in a row. UCF pulls it out by winning three consecutive three set matches. And the camps clenches it by winning a match in which he lost the first set, then went to the second in a tiebreaker, and wins the third six two. Um, yeah. It just shows you a lot of fortitude as well grueling match for him today really was a it battle was. between him and uh, and the player from Wake Forest here is uh coach John Roddick after the match great double point um we played even the one we lost at Oklahoma State played really well in Oklahoma so the last three 
points, we've, we've come out and played really, really good doubles, even though we lost one of them there. But today was, was no exception. And that that kind of, you know, I knew they were really good at singles. So the doubles point, I, I try to talk it down as the, you know, not being that important on him. But I think both teams knew the doubles point was going to be pretty big today. Um, you know, and so I'm proud of what we did at one and two. And even at three, we were, we were on serve, like playing well. So, um, so that was, that was the good end. It kind of got things rolling. And then, you know, really honestly in singles, we were fighting from a hole the whole time. I mean, they, they were, they were all over us for, for most of the match. And, um, yeah, I think we only won two first sets, maybe one first set, one first set. Um, yeah, so I mean, we, we dug out a hole and that, that this team has been building towards that and they've been competing better and better. And I think today they kind of, you know, it really, they got over that hump as far as really learning how to compete, win or lose this match. I was happy with, with how we competed. I mean, I try to keep telling, it's not about win or lose it, but you gotta give yourself a chance to, to finish the match. And that's what we did and it, and it worked out well. Um, you know, and Gabe clinching two in a row at number one singles against the level of player that he's playing against was pretty, pretty special. Coach Roddick, after the match, uh, saying exactly what you were talking about, Murph. I mean, it was a, it was a grueling victory for them. And I start, I kind of get worried. See, here's, here's me panicking. I start to get worried about like, are they, did the emotion of getting this win uh, against Wake and the emotion of doing what they did out in Oklahoma and Texas, do they, do they have enough gas in the tank to get through to, you know, through the conference tournament and then get to the, and then get, you know, make a run in the NCAA. I think they do. I mean, you know, when you play, you know, on hard courts out here in Florida, it's hot. Um, I think they have an advantage over, especially over the teams that play a book, the book of the season indoors. Um, as we've seen in a lot of places like Georgia plays a fair number of their, Matches indoors, for example, um, but it's still it, 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 uh, they they have to know the potential that they have right now that, that that this is a team that can win the national title. If you can if you can go through this stretch like they did, dominate the teams that they've dominated, even though they had a couple hiccups earlier in the season, like when they lost to number eleven Florida in the opener. I think if those two teams rematch, I think UCF would be a favorite right now. Um, this is a this is a really good team. And uh, I think they have the chance to win it all. Do you think, it, what do you guys think? Is that the ceiling right now? I, yeah. I mean, well, boy, is it, it's kind of weird to say like, that's, I, I almost feel, I'm almost scared to put that into the, I put that out there because now you're putting expectations at the, I thought you uh, didn't I believe in jinxes. <laughs> What's Hagen? I thought you didn't believe in jinxes. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying like, I don't feel like we should all of a sudden think that this team, I think with this, that we can certainly believe this team can win a national title. I don't think we should begin to, to discuss that more in depth to where people start believing they should. Uh, True. I, I think it's it's within the realm of possibilities. Uh, there's a wide range of possibilities, certainly, because there's a lot of good teams. They're certainly among the cream of the crop. Um, but like, let's just say, like, do they have a puncher's chance of winning a national title? That's a yes. They have six matches left. Their uh, their their next one is their last road match of the regular season at number 37, South Florida on Saturday. Then they have number 25 Tulane at home on Sunday, a week off before they play UNF uh, the following Sunday, April 11th. And then they play Wichita state the day after that Monday, April um, the 12th conference tournament is April 23rd through 25th uh, at the USTA national campus. And then we see what happens in the NCAAs, Eric. And this is why I do think they have a chance. Unless this has changed, so you guys can you can check if I'm wrong on this. The NCAA championships for tennis this year 
is in Lake Nona, May 16th through the 28th, I believe, in Orlando. Uh, so they would have the home field at court advantage if they can get that far. Uh, so we'll see. It's it's just so weird to say, right, Murph? Because you covered tennis way back in the Stone Ages, Quinn. They were, <laughs> where, I mean, where, like, where were they playing when you So covered? did I. Don't they, forget. They had those courts that were next to the, the main Rec and Wellness Center, the main yeah, gym they were, there. Right they were next to the, the pool. Right, yeah, right next to the pool and the Nike apartments. Kind of like, and that used to be like where the old SID offices were too. So they were over there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. just Those, remember when it would rain, Murph, and the <laughs> courts would be there. There was a section of the courts that would just like an, on past the baselines that would just flood. Flood, yeah. They, didn't, they couldn't they, play. Yeah, we didn't have tennis courts that drained really well back in '05. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, it's a little different, but uh, times have changed. So I know, I know. So. so if if the NCAA championships are here at Lake Nona in Orlando, why not? Right? By the way, not only are they here in Lake Nona in 2021, they're here in 2022 and 2023. Booyah, home field. Oh, uh, that's wow, boys, that's boys. I think we found advantage. I think you found your dates where we're going. all right so uh again we are going to keep a very close eye on men's tennis as they make their way through their through and not just again not just the team national title we have to keep in mind gabriel de camps is a legitimate threat for the singles national championship that's right which is separate from the team title which the team title uh finishes up on uh or uh the the team championships are on may 22nd saturday may 22nd the whole tournament's going to be in orlando starting uh may 16th yeah. Uh, with this women's super regionals Monday, May May seventeenth is the men's super regionals, and then they just alternate days, men's and women's. And that's actually, the semifinals and the finals for both men's and women's are on the same day through the twenty second, and then the individual championships go from the twenty third to the twenty eighth. So that's singles, it's doubles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's pretty. Boy, wouldn't it be cool to have mixed doubles? Yeah, sure. Why that would not? Be, that would be cool to have an NCAA mixed doubles championship. I don't know if they I'm had surprised them in the past. We don't. We, how, how can we don't? Jeff, answer me. That's a good question. We need yeah, to find Jeff, out. get to Jeff. the bottom of it, Jeffrey. We need Jeff. to find that. I, I'll ask around. I'll ask By around. the way, All right. Ariel Scott, track and field, the only individual to ever win a national title for UCF. Could DeCamps join that list? Obviously, cheerleading's won their national titles, and of course, we know about Coley. So, uh, but. This is uh, pretty exciting stuff. It's the Collie Matrix, isn't it? Yeah. Collie. Whatever. Whatever. Dr. Wesley Collie in the <laughs> National Championship of 2017. Uh, all right. So let's flip gears over to uh, baseball. Murph? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have to come back to Earth a little bit here on this yeah. one because it's just, this has just been a bizarre, bizarre. It was such a half feel good show up until now. I, I know. Look at what we talked about. Don't, we got be, so, don't be so harsh. Volleyball probably going to win a conference tournament. Softball is absolutely blowing people out of the water. Tennis is one of the best in the nation. And now we turn your attention to a UCF baseball team that uh, just played its worst game of the year. Well, they've lost four of the last five after they had a chance to get to 500 before conference play started, yeah. right? And it started with that stupid loss up in Tallahassee <laughs> with, with, the, with the daggum infield fly. Yeah. Uh, they, they started out the series at Troy by winning on Friday and then lost, uh, two to one on Saturday and then 14 to 12 in eight innings on Sunday. And again, that they were down big and came back. 
Yeah. Um, and then the game got got cut short because of travel, right? Yeah, yeah. So that game on Sunday was actually moved up an hour. It was actually moved up from one o'clock central to noon central because they wanted to give them more time to because UCF had a five thirty cut time to get out to get to their plane to make sure they cut their flight back home. Well, and it still wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because we had a two hour rain delay during that game after UCF had fallen behind seven nothing. Then they fell behind eleven to one. Then scored nine runs in an inning that make it eleven ten. And then it was 14-12, top of the eighth. UCF struck out with tying runs on base. But at that point, it was already 5.30 because of the delay, so that we never played the ninth inning. It just was what it was. They take the L after eight. Ah, it's just so weird. A.J. Jones took the loss. He gave up eight runs, six of them earned on eight hits in just one inning. Yeah, it was was a typical start for A.J., who apparently had, had, had nothing and just got beat all over the yard. Yeah, yeah, but but even so, I mean, you talk about it, like nine runs in the fifth, uh, two runs in the seventh to get within fourteen to twelve. Had this thing got another inning, you think they could have pulled it off? I don't know. See, this is the one thing that this team has really struggled with is, is timely hitting and, and hitting with runners in scoring position. And something that this this team has really really struggled with is exactly that. So maybe they could have, but they showed on Saturday when they lost two to one. In the, in the last four innings, they had three innings in which they had men in scoring position. They couldn't get them in. Um, and it's been a bugaboo for this team all year long. Uh, that's, why they're, that's why they're two and seven in close game, in one, one, one run games. I think that's the most important stat of the year so far. They've lost seven of nine games decided by a single run. And a lot of that's because when they have got chances to either add on to leads or get big hits to either tie games up or take the lead, they can't come up with them. And this is a good offense. We can get into why this team is good. There's a lot of reasons why this team is actually pretty good, um, but it's those little small things that they're just not doing, and it's led them to a 10 and 14 start, uh, a, a bewildering, puzzling, worst start of Greg Lovelady uh, of any Greg Lovelady season since he's been here. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers here. Uh, offensively, tied for 38th in home runs a game. Um, you know, they're they're 46th in stolen bases a game. Strikeout to walk ratio 51st. Um, it's just that they, they just can't seem to catch the breaks when they really need to. And that really reared its head on Tuesday night uh, at home back to face Jacksonville and uh, a team that they um, that they had taken two for, two of three from earlier uh, j- just last weekend. And they fall down four to nothing, get one back, but then Jacksonville just keeps chipping away at them. And then all of a sudden you look up and it's 10 to one <laughs> and in the eighth inning and you're like, what is even happening here? You it's you were pretty vocal about how you thought this was, this was the worst game that they had played thus far this year. Why, why was that? Yeah. It's not close. It was, it was early. I thought that the first six innings, it was certainly the, 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 the dreariest game, the least energetic game, the, the most lack uh, lackadaisical game they'd played all year. There was no energy on that field from UCF on Tuesday night against Jacksonville. A team that I believe now, Jeff, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they're now six and sixteen this season, um, and so that means that Jacksonville has gotten a third of their wins this season against UCF, uh, which which is not what you want if you want to make want. it. It's not what you five want. Five and fifteen, wanna, by the way, Murph. I five should, and fifteen. I should, this is actually five fifteen. They've actually had forty percent of their wins against UCF. And, 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 and this is a, a game in which Jacksonville – it was a bullpen game for both teams. So both teams were going to go through a bunch of pitchers. 
And Jacksonville throws out a pitcher out there who entered with a 20, with a 20.25 ERA in six appearances. (laughs) In five of those six appearances, he had given up multiple earned runs. And in this appearance, he goes three scoreless with two two hits and four or five Ks. Um, There was nothing on either side of the diamond for UCF in this game. They looked like, they looked very disinterested. Then there were just some sloppy defensive plays. Uh, it, it was it was really bad, and it all culminated in one of the uh, I don't know if it's a, it's not a strange scene. It's just something we haven't seen before this year. At the end of this loss, this this really debilitating, awful loss. Uh, you know, Love Lady gets together with the co- with the players as he usually does at, at in right field, and they have their little team meeting in, in right field. Then the players leave, and usually the coaches leave right with them, but in this time the coaches don't leave. And so you have the four coaches, Nick Gotti, Ted Tom, Chris Cates, and Greg Lovelady sitting in the dugout for a good 15 minutes, just sort of sitting next to each other. And you can see they're talking a little bit, but mostly it just looks like they're like looking at the field and kind of stunned. Uh, And then Lovelady comes and does a a press conference in which I've never seen him use fewer words in any press availability ever. The man is very talkative. He likes to speak. Uh, and, and it's very loquacious. Uh, he did not want to say anything in this presser. He basically just said that they need to play better and the coaches need to coach better. And he used a lot of cliches. Afterwards, I thought it was Josh Heupel. I really thought like Josh Heupel had taken over the baseball presser because um, that's what Greg Love sounded like. And then, and then for the next 35 minutes, the coaches remained in the dugout and just remained in the dugout sitting and talking. Because this is a team that's had a lot of expectations coming in this year. We talked about how they were projected to finish second in the conference behind ECU. Maybe they could compete with ECU in the conference this year. Um, and like you said, Jeff, the stats look fine. I think they're second in the conference in runs. Uh, they're second in the conference in home runs. They're third in ERA, which none like really there's no good ERAs in this conference, but they're third. And yet they're 10 and 14. They've And they've had some bad losses. And this team is kind of floundering now. After a week in which uh, they've had, you know, two another two more one-run losses and their worst game of the year on the eve of conference play. Um, it, we're, we are at a total crossroads with this team. I'm glad you brought that up because that dovetails into my question here. Like, and, and I am looking through the conference rankings, and they're right there at the top in, in, in both offense and defense. Yeah. In well, a number uh, of different it's, it's offense and uh, pitching, defense has been bad. I don't know what they're like. Like they're second. Well, yeah, yeah. Offense and pitching, I should say. The defense has been rough. Yeah, and that's one of the things. The defense is bad, but the offensive pitching, like, like, look, I think their ERA is like four point nine two, and that's not good. But like, they're third in the conference because a lot of there's a lot of teams in this conference that don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's the little dirty little secret. You know, we have pumped up this league as a top five league. ECU's ECU's team ERA is 3.57. That's first in the league. You want to get into this, Eric? I I think you're right. I I, I don't mean to hedge off, but I think, I think I know where you're going with this. We talked about this this being a very deep league this year with eight teams and, and not just ECU, but you know, Tulane and Houston and UCF, you can make a big run here for multiple, like, uh, like at least three bids into a tournament right now. Now, guys, this is a one-bid league. This is a yeah. one-bid league right now at ECU, and no one is close to ECU. ECU, I believe, is 11-5. and five. Wichita State is like 12-8, and eight, and then it's, it's like just down from there. Uh, there's, there's, I think in the RPI, I believe ECU is 13, and Wichita State has 
has the second highest RPI, and they're in the 80s. 88. <laughs> I got it right here. I have it right here. Yeah. East Carolina yeah. is 18 and 5. <laughs> by the way, by the way, can we we need to find out who the heck is at Fairfield? Because Fairfield is number one <laughs> RPI in baseball. Fairfield's in the top ten in volleyball, and Fairfield's in the top rankings in softball. What the heck? Hang the banner well, yeah. now up in Fairfield. <laughs> Hang the banners now. To, to, Stop to, to the complete, count. <laughs> complete the trifecta about complaining about polls. Do you want to like look at the top like ten in the RPI? There's like Quinnipiac. Right. It's it's like, a, it's it's all clearly awful. they're running this. They know the formula. Uh, but no, look, I think this is a quietly a developing, interesting story. And maybe it's a positive for UCF in that they're not the only team in the league struggling. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. it. I mean, East Carolina is doing their thing. But you're right. Wichita State's 12 and 8. Houston, which also had a lot of high expectations. They're 12 and 11. Their RPI is 185. <laughs> Tulane, 11 and 12, 101 RPI. South Florida, 10 and 12, 98 RPI. Memphis 10 and 12 118 Cincinnati 11 and 10 165 this is I've never seen the league like this the RPI has them as the seventh rated conference in college baseball which for the American that is down they are yeah. usually in the fourth you know no worse than four five this is very bizarre and I don't know what to make of this Murph I don't know do you have a theory on this I, I mean I, I know they lost some talent from last year but I, they usually regroup pretty strongly. Well, and that's not even, no, like you're, this is, this isn't the year where you complain about losing talent because yeah. the AAC is one of the leagues that benefits yeah. from the modified draft last year and the extra year of eligibility where the AAC, unlike the SEC and the PAC 12, they get more of their returning players back. I mean, UCF returned basically all but two or three guys uh, from, from, from last year's team, as far as the, the key contributors, um, a lot of some seniors came back. So uh, no, I, I don't think it's a dearth of talent. I just think that there's been a lot of surprising results and teams yeah. are playing up to their potential. Well, and, and I think you're right. I think you're right. You know, it's funny. Like, I'm looking at Houston. They've lost a – they split a four-game series with Texas Arlington, for example. They dropped yeah. the game to Texas or A&M Corpus Christi. They've lost to Lamar. I think that's the problem. You know, you're again because you're playing more of a regional schedule. This has been the theme on this podcast. It does not help you because what happens is your it forces you to play certain teams that you probably shouldn't be playing because it doesn't help your resume. And because you're playing them maybe three or four times and you drop a couple maybe once or twice, that's gonna kill your RPI. It's gonna kill yeah. your resume. And we've seen that with UCF to some extent. Jacksonville playing Jacksonville four times. Jacksonville, you mentioned only five wins. Well, you lost to them twice. That kills your resume. And we're seeing yeah. that with Houston. And I think we're seeing that across the league. I think the league normally, in a normal year, would be playing a stronger non-conference schedule because they're able to schedule more nationally. But because you're reduced because of the re geography, that's kind of hurt the league, I think. But in but in UCF's defense, in that case, you still got the old Miss series. You oh, still I, well, got I the, UCF. I, we need a shrink for that. I don't have an answer for you. You still got the. <laughs> you still got a game against FSU. You still have games yeah. against Stetson. Uh, which, by the way, Stetson's falling hard. I think they've lost six of nine since their ten and zero start too. Um, but still, it's a good opponent. Yeah, they came back to earth. Ooh. Um, so it's it's just so weird. I, I again, we're trying to figure out right now as. You know, literally, conference play starts on Thursdays. They go Thursday, doubleheader Friday, and a game on Saturday at USF. Which UCF team am I going to see? Am I going to see the team that split a four-game series against a six-win Jacksonville or a team that won two out of three at Ole Miss, a team that has lost four games all season? 
So to put it another way, UCF has given Ole Miss half of their losses and has given Jacksonville a third of their wins. And somewhere in between that is a baseball team, and I don't know which one I'm going to see this weekend. Well, in that case, Murph, doesn't this bode well for UCF? Because like we said, conference play is starting with the four games against South Florida. Thursday at 6, uh, doubleheader Friday starting at 2, and then Saturday at 1. Doesn't this bode well for the Knights in that they're finally getting to conference play? Because like we said, everyone in this league is kind of is kind of is is struggling here in terms of just trying to stay like trying to stay afloat basically. Now that you get within the friendly confines of conference play, are we going to start to see things, the the mistakes that we were seeing in the first part of the season, kind of shake off a little bit now that they're now that everyone's playing each other? I don't know. I I don't know what kind of narrative you were trying to go for there, but I thought it was kind of dumb. So I'm going <laughs> to ignore it and just say that. Uh, wow! Wow! Look, look this this wow. team is holy lost. smokes. You miss it when I said that this team has split four games with Jacksonville. So now all of a sudden we think that it's better that they're going to be playing better competition. I I don't know. Maybe not <laughs> not better, but but different competition that they're more familiar <laughs> and with. What? Well, here, 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 I'm let me let me let me, here. I'm, let, listen, let me I'm try to save for the silver lining. I'm let looking me, for the silver lining here. Let me let me just try to help Jeffrey out here. You're zero and zero starting on third in Tampa. Right, so you're zero okay. and zero. You put it, you put it behind you, and we just described. Other than East Carolina, there's nobody else in this league that scares you. Right, and this league has good reputation. I mean, Mike Rooney a week ago said that UCF's a no doubt regional team. I don't know what he. I mean, you know, prop. Thank you, Mike. Well, Mike was it was Mike Rooney putting together the softball pools too? Because uh, maybe I don't watching, know, but he pumped them up. Watching sports. <laughs> I don't know. So, I I mean. Look, I mean, if, this team just seems to, way too talented to me to flounder the whole year. Something's got to give here. That's the that's the thing, right? Uh, so, I, so Eric makes a better point, certainly better than whatever Jeff was kind of shoot at there, because this is a restart. <laughs> like, like Johnny Dawkins has always said in basketball that that the non-conference is the preseason and conference play is your regular season. And so, what really matters is how you fare in conference play, because those games ultimately matter as far as you know, who gets the higher seed in the conference tournament and, 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 you know, can you get, can you take home a conference title, which, which is, which is very important. I mean, look what Todd Dashney said earlier in the show, they're regular season champs, um, you know, in, in, in this conference. And so that's important. Um, can they play better? They, they have the talent. They have so much talent. Uh, they've got a ton of guys. They've got at least five or six guys with on-base percentage over 400. They've got big power bats and Jordan Rathbone and Big McCabe and Josh Crouch. They've got speed bat. They've got speed like with Jeffrey Pena and sometimes Pablo Ruiz. Alex Freeland is a total stud at shortstop, and we should be happy that he's here because he wouldn't be if this draft was longer than was left. This draft was was if this draft was longer than five rounds last year, and I yeah, don't think he'll be here after next season when he's eligible for the 2022 draft. He's yeah, so he's good. Really it's, good. Oh. He's so good. It's it's crazy. So their offense is really good. I like their offense. They they need to make more contact. But they do, and they need a bunt less, but whatever. I gave up that horse a long time ago because Greg Lovelady <laughs> won't listen to me. Uh, but they hit a lot of home runs. They've got a lot of power. They use their speed wisely. They're aggressive. Um, the offense, I think, is fine. The pitching staff is good. You've got an absolute horse right now at Colton Gordon at the front who seems to be getting better and refining his stuff and is becoming more dominant as the, years go, as the season's gone on. 
Uh, I believe he struck out double-digit batters in the last four, four starts he's had, um, or three of the last four. Uh, he's he's been amazing. He's been absolutely incredible. Then you start with the, like the real questions, right? Like so, like offensively, like they like they need to make more contact. Okay, that's you know whatever. But there's some real questions here with the back end of the rotation and the bullpen. Is Jackson Clare and AJ Jones and Kenny Sirwalk good enough to get you through games two through fours in a conference series? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought AJ Jones was pretty. St- AJ Jones has been pretty sturdy most of the season. Uh, certainly against Ole Miss and in other non-conference games. And then he had got absolutely shellacked this past weekend at Troy. Um, and then Jackson Clare's been kind of up and down. He's had some starts where he's looked great, some starts where he's been okay. Uh, what concerns me there is that he seems to be missing fewer bats this year, which is always dangerous. And Kenny Sarwa has been okay too, but you can't probably give him you – probably, you probably can't expect more out of him than like five or six innings at this point. Um, and then the bullpen, as I've said, since the early part of the season, it doesn't have an identity. And that might be the most damning thing about this team so far is that this team, the strength of the Love Ladies teams have always been the bullpen with dominant relievers. You want to go back to uh, Bryce Tucker and Thad Ward and Jason Barr all the way up to Jeffrey Hakenson and then uh, Garrett Westberg and Kyle Kemp. They've had dominant relievers on these on, on these Love Ladies squads. I don't know who that guy is. We thought it was going to be Jackson Clara coming into this year, but he's now going to be in a, in a, in a starting role with Hunter Patterson kind of struggling as a long-term starter right now. And so is it David Litchfield? Is it Zach Hunsaker? Is it Ben Vespi? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if any of those guys are really rock solid dependable right now. They've all had good outings. And they've all had pretty shaky outings too. Um, yeah, that's a huge question mark with this team, which I never thought I'd be saying about a love lady team that the bullpen's a huge question mark. Yeah. Well, uh, up against South Florida this week, South Florida's hitting pretty good as a team. They're hitting 283. Uh, although it, these are back to back. Number two, UCF. Number three, South Florida. Uh, and then East Carolina, number one. Uh, the top. Those are the top three teams in on base, team on base percentage uh, right now in the I American, mean, which yeah, I think. You know, and far, as far as UCF striking out too much, I get it. It sucks. They also, I believe, are either first or second in walks. So they're getting first. on base. Like first, they, they really, I mean, offensively, this team is good, and sometimes they just don't come up with the right with the right hit at the right time. Um, yeah, it's the other thing. The pitching really concerns me, but uh, but yeah, we'll see what happens this weekend. It's going to be tough out of the gate. You've got two consecutive road series at USF and at Cincinnati. This team has one home game between March twenty second, April, and April fifteenth, uh, and that was last night, and it was the worst game of the year. Whee! Yeah, it's going to be a while. So, and by the way. Like I said earlier, they're third in the conference in ERA. That ERA is four point nine two as a team, and they're and they're fifth in the conference in lowest opposing batting average, two sixty six. So I mean, we're not even having this conversation if their two and seven one one one, one run record was flipped around. If it was seven right. and two and they'd gotten five more hits in these games, you know, and then and then all of a sudden they're they're fifteen and nine. Then, then what are we? What are we even talking about? We're like, hey, they're they're looking okay. They're looking okay, but now we're now literally the sky is falling. Well, not literally. Excuse me, uh, the sky is falling though. You know, right now. Yeah, it's it. it but hey, pull together something in uh, in conference. It's on the road, like you said in Tampa. But you pull together something here. You got four games to sort it out against a team that I think UCF does match up pretty well against. So, yeah. uh, now or never, at least. At this point. They, by the way, USF, obviously, this is the only team that they play more than once uh, in conference because they play them at home 
uh, April 16th through the 18th in that four-game set. But it is a four-game set starting uh, on Thursday, April the 1st, 6 p.m. Uh, doubleheader Friday starting at 2 p.m. in Tampa and then Saturday uh, at 1 p.m. And it doesn't say here on the uh, on the schedule, but I do believe this is they'll be on ESPN Plus for those games. Uh, yeah, they, they have to be. All right, so ESPN Plus for those. Check it out. We'll be following those. And I know you'll be following those because you can follow Brian at Spokes underscore. I'm hoping uh, to get down to Tampa on Friday for the doubleheader. I'm like, I, I don't know. There's things popping up. But uh, if I can get out of here by noon, be there by 1.30, I'm trying to get there for the doubleheader on Friday. Yeah. yeah some, get your work done early, right? Yeah. Take care of business. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, soccer. Update you on the men's and women's teams there. Uh, and then also, we talked about the men's tennis team that's having, having has such a big week. Women's tennis is going to have a big week coming up. So we're going to be following that uh, and more when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where every Monday, catch your nightcap. We go over the weekend's events from all UCF's Olympic sports. Uh, lots to talk about there, including number 18 women's tennis. Uh, 9-0 and at home now, Eric Lopez, as they knocked off uh, SMU. And here's the, sto- here's the story with women's tennis that I think we need to... The, the, with the men's team, like we talked about earlier, playing really well. Women's tennis is very much under the radar. All right, they're at 11 and 3 right now and they have their big road stretch coming up. They do the same thing that the men did. Out to Oklahoma, they play Oklahoma State ranked number 41 in Stillwater on Saturday and then they play number 33 Oklahoma in Norman on Sunday. Uh and then they don't leave the state the rest of the year because they got three home matches and then their only road matches in Tallahassee against uh against Florida State. Uh, before they finish up the regular season, and then the AAC championships April 22nd through the 25th. So, this is they haven't played a ranked team since March the 6th when they beat uh, when they beat Furman. Um, and this is uh, this is another big spot for this team right now, where you know a little bit of a show me weekend for them too, right? No doubt. I mean, can they duplicate what the men did? Who knows? But yeah, this is their turn now to kind of make this big push here and try to move up in the rankings like the men's did. And they've been rolling. They've been consistent from day one. And uh, they're more balanced. They got a lot of variety on their roster. Uh, they don't have a top 10 singles player, quote unquote, but they have a lot of ranked players and they're they're, they're very loaded as well. And right, have the experience so- from a team that have a lot of players that were in that Sweet 16 team two years ago. Right. And I think they're hungry too. Based on that experience, I think that they, it's, how about the value of having that experience from two years ago, right? Sure, and, and the hunger that you didn't have last year, you know, I mean, that's a whole can of worms there, yeah. You're not just glad to be there anymore. Yeah, you know, now you're really feeling like you have it, that you belong and you got something to prove. So, uh, April 3rd and 4th uh, against the, the two big schools from uh, Oklahoma before they come back Friday, April 9th to play South Florida at home. Uh, women's soccer did not play this past weekend against SMU. That match was postponed due to some COVID problems with uh, the Mustangs. And Eric, this hurts the women's soccer team, I think, more than usual because that this felt like a victory that they could have had uh, in the bag because yeah, SMU, uh, they're only one and one on the season. UCF, uh, you know, that's 
three points that they desperately need that they're not going to get now in the standings. Uh, they play, they have a week off before they play Houston on Sunday, April the 11th. Uh, and then it's, you know, well, hopefully off to the AAC championships, but we just don't know yet right now because the only top, only the top four qualify. And right now UCF is one point out. Uh, the top four right now are South Florida, Memphis, Cincinnati, East Carolina. Um, ECU's got eight points on the season. UCF's got seven. They kind of needed that those points up on the board uh, and, and a result against uh, SMU, and they're not going to get it. So now it comes down to they they got to get three against Houston to have a shot, right? And they need help because East Carolina's got Tulsa on Saturday. Uh, and I'm looking here. I mean, unless they're, I mean, I'm wondering, are they able to even reschedule that or not? Because you're right. They're kind of short. I mean, East Carolina. Now the good news is East Carolina is at Memphis to end the season. If you're UCF, you're rooting for Memphis to take out East Carolina. And then you're hoping Tulsa maybe could get a draw with ECU and then UCF beats Houston. You can get in that way, but not a, a very peculiar situation to say the least. Yeah. I'm looking to see SMU because they've only played two matches all season, uh, you know, because, uh, boy, SMU's really been uh, stringent on their regulations with regard to COVID here, too, by the way. Um, they beat uh, Temple. They lost to ECU. Um, right now it says that they've got Cincinnati on the 3rd, at Houston on the 7th, and at Tulsa on the 11th. So if, if I'm not mistaken here, well... No, I don't think unless they they're I don't think they're going to go back to back. No, I don't know. I think no, I don't think and then coming here to Orlando. I don't right. think they're going to do that. No, I, it's a really unfortunate situation, and I don't. You know, we'll see what mm. happens here. But they're it, it, it right now. That's not good for UCF. They need to be. They got to need some help here to get to the conference tournament. I'm assuming that doesn't get made up because they don't go by win percentage here. They're going by points, and that's kind of the issue here. Yeah. In, in a way, the points actually gives UCF a better shot you know, bit. than they would have with win percentage. Because right now, you know, they're two, three, and one. So I mean, you're sub five hundred, but um, but they have a you know at least with the, with the points, I think they would have had a shot. But that postponement with S S and just kind of wild, man. This is just so wild, guys. Who would have thought you have a 2020-2021 athletic year? You have all these teams having successful years, and you can make the argument that the three traditional programs, football, women's soccer, and baseball, are right now are the ones that are at the bottom as far as production this season, which is so weird to say, but that's where we're it's at. It's weird to see those those programs struggling, at least at this point. Yeah. It, it really is. But at least, at least, you know, baseball has, like we were talking about in the previous segment, has, you know, enough of a, like, they still have the shot. Their real season starts now. Women's soccer got behind the eight ball early because they're only playing conference matches. Right. Here's the right, and so. well, and they have a lot of new faces. I think they have like eight new faces on the roster. Yeah. And I they think had for, no summer. They had no fall right. together. Right. I think for Tiff and women's soccer, honestly, it, this is about you're hoping you're getting experience that will pay off in the fall when you hopefully go back to more of a normal schedule. Mm -hmm. If things don't work out here the next couple of weeks, I think that's how the, you're gonna have to look at it. You know, and that's, you know, we saw this in basketball. If you have a lot of new faces on your team, you're going to struggle because of the lack of, you know, you know, experience playing together and with all the protocols. And I think we're seeing this with women's soccer. If you don't have the experience playing together, we've, that's kind of hurt them here. Yeah. All right. Well, 
Best we can, best they can do is take care of what's within their control, which is April the ninth at Memphis. Yeah, got well, 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 they, well yeah, make. well, they got to beat Houston, like you said. Or I'm sorry, yeah, they got to beat Houston. I'm sorry. Get to ten points. Get to ten points, and then you got to get some help there. You got to hope that East Carolina does not get a win in the next two matches, or Cincinnati get a, a win in the next two matches, because if they, if Cincinnati and East Carolina get a win, you could be done. Yeah, that's true. I was mistakenly looking at the men's soccer schedule, by the way. So uh, they are five and three. They've won four in a row. And speaking of teams that are hot, boy, are they hot right now. They, uh, they have not allowed a goal since uh, March the 6th. Uh, Yannick Ertl, uh, since he came back from that injury, remember he was out. Uh, they had his backup in there. He has, uh, he has not allowed a goal in the month of March. Uh, and uh, it culminated in a dramatic uh, overtime victory uh, against us uh, against South Florida, one to nothing in double OT. The Knights get the golden goal in Tampa uh, off the foot of Yoni Sorokin uh, on a beautiful pass from Anderson Rosa too. Uh, that uh, that and and Yoni got the goal, and uh, lo and behold, they they withstood a five to two shot disadvantage in the overtime periods. Erta was fantastic in goal and get a huge conference win on the road with two matches to go in the regular season now. And uh, as I'm looking at the uh, at the men's soccer standings right now, uh, UCF, again, still one point behind Tulsa. Knights have five wins, uh, but three losses. Tulsa has, uh, Tulsa's five, one, and one. So they got the extra point on the one draw that they had. But uh, here's, uh, here's men's soccer again, um, keeping this ball rolling. It's actually the fewest goals that they've scored since February, but it was a hard-fought game on the road, and they got the W, and now they face this big rematch with a struggling SMU team on Friday, April 2nd. Right, Eric? Yeah, but that kind of makes me nervous. <laughs> it really yeah, because SMU's uh, going to come in pretty ticked well, off the, after how they lost to UCF the last well, time. It's, well, and it's the rivalry of the league, and let's be honest, the loser of this match probably done as far as a regular season championship contender. Um uh, you mentioned Tulsa's one point ahead of UCF. SMU is four back of Tulsa. So this is a must win for both as far as league play is concerned. Tulsa, by the way, they're at Temple uh, this weekend. Temple upset SMU at home. Temple's going to be desperate because they need points there. Then Tulsa goes to SMU and then hosts South Florida to end the season. Not an easy finish for Tulsa. So if UCF can get a result here and get a win, and they got Memphis to finish, who's the last place in the league. If UCF can get to 21 points, I like their chances to get a three-peat out of this regular season title, which would be the most remarkable achievement I've ever seen, considering this team looked dead in the water about a yeah. month ago. Here's the uh, golden goal in Tampa. Here's the call from ESPN+. Plus. Any pieces? Vivi has been the guy that's taken these free kicks and corners, but they'll leave it for Rosa. Rosa slices one into the box, and it's through. UCF finds a way to win it. Off the feed from Vivi, and this one is over. How about that? Dramatic goal could be the difference between a conference championship and no conference championship. Could be the difference between making the NCAAs, not making the NCAAs, but big. To keep that alive, and now an opportunity with Tulsa here, or with SMU in this rivalry game, with big implications. Let's be honest. I mean, SMU has been ranked most of the year until recently. Tulsa's the team that's ranked in the league. UCF's getting votes in the polls now. 
If you can beat SMU, get to six wins, and then beat Memphis, seven wins, I think UCF has a chance to get into the tournament via at large, even if they weren't not to make the, the win the tur- the conference tournament because the American is a strong league in men's soccer. Uh, mm-hmm. Only really the ACC is the superior league. But outside of that, you know, they're playing for the season. But this is – it's going to be dramatic. These two teams always play dramatic matches. I wouldn't expect anything less this Friday. And uh, it's uh, it's going to be huge. I think the loser of this team knows they're going to have to win the conference tournament to get in. The winner of this game has a chance to win the regular season title, especially if it's UCF. And I think if UCF could put this result in, they would put all the pressure on Tulsa. So pretty remarkable. And a remarkable turnaround. This team, considering the players they've lost to injury and the players that have left to play pro, uh, it just didn't look good at times. And, and Coach Cunningham, you know, Scott Calabrese has done a heck of a job turning this sucker around and might be his best coaching job of the years he's been here, which is kind of crazy to say. Yeah. And that next opponent, by the way, SMU four and three on the year. They lost three of their last four and their only win was a three to two uh, decision against, uh, South, against Florida. South Florida. South Florida's kind of dipped too a little bit. I mean, yeah. and, and again, Tulsa at Temple is big because Temple they're kind of at a long shot. They must win out to have a shot to make the conference tournament. So you know they're going to bring it out against Tulsa. So, you know, I think there could be an upset there. And, again, yeah. wouldn't it be something if we're looking in the standings by the end of the weekend and UCF's on top? That would be pretty remarkable. But, again, easier said than done because SMU uh, has been the thorn, and you're right. They're going to come out to play. I can't wait. I think it's going to be a, another classic. Friday, 6 p.m. ESPN Plus at the at the track and soccer complex. Um Attendance was bumped up this week, by the way, to 50%, yeah. which is great for all the sports. Bit of a cold uh, front coming, though, for, right? Is there going to be a cold front there? The only reason oh, I bring yeah. it up. Yeah, we got some We got some rain coming later, like tomorrow. And... Supposed yeah. yeah, to drop into, like, the 50s, I thought, over the weekend. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. This is, well, this, is that, our, this is our last little bit of winter here, isn't it? Well, and that's yeah. not that's the, that does not bring back good memories. Murph and I, Murph, you remember, we were at the American Conference Championship game in 2019 when these two teams played at UCF, and it was, like, in the 40s, or at least 40s, cold. 50s, yeah. And it, I don't know if it affected play or not, but SMU kind of controlled play. I, I don't know. It was kind of wacky. Just to say, just, yeah. It doesn't bring back good memories. That's all. Mm. All right. So we got uh, so again, this it's by the way senior day for that uh, you know for that well insofar as we're going to see seniors leave, um, Friday at six ESPN plus uh, for that one. All right, one last thing we got to talk about. We say football for last on this show, Brian Murphy. I think, I think this that? is the third program in a row where we've talked about football last. I know, but uh, not the traditional football that we're used to, but. A fun, uh, you know, a little fun off-season activity. It's Pro Day on uh, Thursday, April the 1st. Uh, UCF will be hosting, uh, obviously, you know, a bunch of NFL teams here to take a look at not just uh, players who are entering the draft this year, but also a few uh, free agents who might have some opportunities here. So who are we going to see on uh, on Thursday here, Murph, as uh, UCF gets ready for this, uh, this socially distanced Pro Day? Yes, it's a well. We've got ten play, well, ten former knights who are coming out uh, for the pro day tomorrow. It's going to be in the order that I was presented. Uh, the eight players from last year's team: Otis Anderson, Richie Grant, Jacob Harris, Tay Gowan, Greg McRae, Trey Nixon, Aaron Robinson, and Marlon Williams. And then we're going to have two players from previous years come back and do a little workout, hoping to get some attention. In Navelle Clark. And- 
and Dylan Barnes. 10 players overall, which actually is a pretty small field considering past pro days. I believe the 2019 pro day had nine, they had like 21 players uh, mm-hmm. in that. But again, there was a bigger senior class. And that year, the seniors didn't get to, get to come back the next year. So that's one reason, a couple reasons why this is a small class. Is there any chance we're going to find out what in the world happened to Navelle Clark? You can, I mean, we're supposed to, so we're supposed to be talking to some of the athletes after the, uh, the uh, event. So we'll be talking to at least, I believe, to Trey, Aaron, and Richie. Uh, I could put him a word and say, hey, can we talk to Navelle and figure out, like, you know, what happened? Because, like, I remember the Vikings paid you, like, $125,000 as a, like, a preferred undrafted free agent. And then, and then what? And, and then you know. vanished. Yeah, uh, probably not is the uh, short answer, but I, I was trying to be comedic. <laughs> um, who, ha- in your opinion, has the most to gain oh. by having a good day? Oh, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. <laughs> no one. It's a pro day. It's a pro day. Come uh, on. Guys. Come on, Murph. Give me something compl- here. People guys, are complaining this isn't being streamed for crying out loud. Guys. Oh, you know oh what? yeah. Everyone was getting on that, Murph. Did you see that? It, it's not. No, I didn't. Was it on Twitter? Because if it was, yes. I didn't see it. No, no. I've <laughs> I've, I've, stayed far away from Twitter this week for reasons that I do not want to get into. And so <laughs> there there was uh, – I would, I've been surprised that they wouldn't stream it like on UCF Nights TV or UCFNights.com or something. You know, not ESPN Plus or any of that stuff, but but like they would stream it from like their own internal like Facebook page, like they like what they do for the press conferences. Like, why can't they do that for this? I don't know. I, I would I would find that weird. Tell them, um, Murph. Yeah, but to go back to your stupid question. Wow, guys, <laughs> that's too holy. Wow, Jeffrey, holy man. Again, pro days are just for mostly it's for inter- like it's 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 for like networking and interviews. It's it's good for these players to talk to NFL personnel and for these personnel people to get a feel for these players, not only what they've seen on tape, but then talk to them face to face a little bit and, and see what, you know, what, what, what they're about. I don't think anyone's going to come out here and say that if Trey Nixon runs a four, four or if Richie Grant really looks great in ball drills, that all of a sudden they're going to get boosted up around in the draft. Like, no, that's not how this works. It's a workout. We're working out in shorts and t-shirts guys. This is not football. This is not football. The Speaking combine, of the shorts and t-shirts, UCF even revealed the pro day uh, pro day uniforms today. Yeah, on you, well, you know UCF loves itself. It's apparel. I mean, hashtag just, content, baby. I, I mean, does Christian does, has Christian Simmons gotten back to us on what he thinks about the about the <laughs> wow, <laughs> folks? For no, the record, I, no, bro- that's not a shot. I love Christian. Like, I I, I honestly like Christian a lot. I, I just wanted to know, like, does he have a take? <laughs> On the on the pro day shirts and shorts, on the pro day shoes and gloves. Okay, guys. Again, pro days are completely overrated. They they're here for like a they're, they're a TV event. No one gives a crap that Justin Fields ran a four four forty. And if you do, then you don't do pro evaluation very well. Well, my favorite my favorite is the analysis right after. I was like, man, I don't know why people thinking he's dropping. I think he might be the second quarterback taken. No, oh, no. <laughs> Every, every quarterback that's tried out is the number two quarterback taken. Yeah. I mean, look, they're going to look, you're going to look good. Okay. Unless you didn't train at all and you haven't, you know, practiced the events at all, you're going to look good. This is not a, this is not a situation where you're going to come out and fall flat on your face. Like this is easier than the combine. 
it's just for networking and, you know, and just for guys to get a look at you. But the guys who are worth their salt in football evaluation or in any sport evaluation, do it based off of film and tape and looking at what these guys have done against real opponents in real live game situations when things matter, not in an indoor, in an indoor practice facility in shorts. <laughs> I, it's the it's really uh, but Murph, I can't, Gus, I can't but, get it out of him, Eric. I can't get I can't get any draft skinny out of this guy. It's, it's one it's He's one of the most not overrated things. It's one of the most overrated things on the on the entire sports calendar is pro day. Wow. Uh day will begin with yeah. measurables and testing in the weight room around noon, which will be followed by the 40 yard dash, positional workouts, and more on the turf in Nicholson uh Fieldhouse. So yeah, I'll be following the UCF I hope, football I hope, Twitter I all, account for updates on that. Two, I'm sure they'll have some things. good video One, on that. I hope all the kids who work out don't get to hurt themselves, right? I mean, we saw uh, yes. Navelle Clark at the Combine a couple of years ago. He uh, – was it, was it Navelle or was it Gabe? I forgot which one. Maybe it was Gabe. But it was a Combine a couple of years ago, and uh, they, they pulled up Lane during a drill and, uh, and, and didn't finish the rest of the events. And you don't want to see that, right? So you want that. And then secondly, I, I just hope they – talk to and get to see and, and meet and, and get discussed with as many pro evaluators as they right. can. What? That's what this is all about. Right. The, 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 the other stuff, the events, the, the ball drills, the, the 40, the, the weight lift, the bench press, all that stuff's for show. No one who's worth their salt really puts much stock into the results there. Um, just network well, stay healthy, you know, and we'll see what happens. I mean, look, is Tristan Hill on the Cowboys? If Rod Marinelli's not here, going through pro day drills with Tristan Hill back a few, a few years ago. I mean, Rod, Rod Marinelli, the, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, was here coaching up Tristan Hill during pro days, and then the Cowboys take him in the second round. I don't think that's a coincidence, but also I don't think Marinelli came out of that saying that he wanted to draft him because Tristan Hill looked really good knocking over some bags. Like, no one cares about that. He got to know Tristan as a right, person think, right. talking to him. Well, I'll back you up, Murph. I remember covering the Blake Bortles pro day with Todd McShay was uh, there that networks covering that. And I'll never forget when Blake got done with his workout, Gus Bradley, who was the head coach of the Jaguars at the time went out of his way to give him a hug. And everybody's like, well, don't read too much into that. That's right. Well, it turns out, you know, no, it did. They clicked. They, they met that weekend. They spoke and the Jaguars were sold and they drafted Blake number three overall to just back up your point. It's really more, I think, People already have their ideas going into this. They just want to see the person in, in, in person and make sure there's no nothing wrong or anything. You know, how do they yeah. click type of thing? Right. Pro days, pro days are just like checking and make sure. It, it's a double check. It's a triple FaceTime. check, really, of making sure that everything I've seen on film from this kid that I've watched reams and reams of tape of, that it actually looks like the guy I saw on tape. That's yep. all I want to see. I don't and, numbers. Right. And, and here's the other point. I remember that Bortles one because Jeff Gottfried was his receiver. And people were trying, I won't mention names, but people were like, man, Jeff Godfrey had a heck of a workout. Well, I think he's really turned some heads. He didn't even get drafted. So, I mean, you know. He didn't even get signed. No. So, to Murph's point, I think we over we make too much of this stuff. And we will. And that's fine. But to his point, like people already like no people don't need this pro day to know how good Richie Grant is, right? Like nobody knows. The question yeah, you already know how good Richie Grant is. I think yeah. the thing that's interesting is okay, which teams specifically target him? Same thing mm -hmm. with Robinson. And I think that's what this pro day is. With all due respect to everybody else, 
this is what it's really about. And then if you're an Otis Anderson type, maybe you maybe you luck into somebody liking you and maybe get taken in the end of the draft or you sign as a free agent. But- well, certainly, you know, even before, so after Richie and, and, and Aaron, I think Tay Gowan and, and Marlon Williams right. certainly have. I think Tay's to- important. Tay's important because he didn't yeah. play. I will say this, Murph, and I think for Gowan, it is more important of the group, actually. So I will answer. I think that answers your question, Jeff. I think Gowan is more important because he skipped out on last year. So mm-hmm. he may he may have more questions to answer from NFL people and may have to show some things that others don't. Again, uh, that's fine. But anything he does tomorrow isn't actual football. It's just athleticism. It's just it's just it's gym work. Okay, let's not conflate the two things. That's all. <laughs> so we just spent about ten minutes talking about something that both of you unanimously said we spend way too much time. Talking I want because I want to do this every year. I want to do this till the day <laughs> I die. Every year on Pro Day Eve rant about how overrated pro days are they're completely overrated especially when it's especially when it's going up against opening day baseball major league baseball there you go that's what murph was waiting on so all right so we're gonna wrap with this because you know hey opening day is right around the corner we're gonna have murph you said two ucf nights out on major league rosters to start to start the season correct yeah, so that's down from last year where we had at least three, if not four. Uh, it was at least uh, at least three, but we have two this year, and Dylan Moore uh, for the Mariners and Dan Winkler for the Cubs. Dylan Moore has been really, guys, I mean, we talked about it all over the summer last year. He was kind of a revelation for the Mariners. Got on their team as a, a like a kind of a, just a utility defender and turned into a power speed threat. Uh, and now is a guy who's a pretty important part of their offense. And then Dan Winkler in the Cubs bullpen, uh, probably going to get maybe not the highest leverage situations, but certainly I think are going to be a, a dependable middle reliever. Um, and then we'll see whether, you know, does Bo Taylor get called up from the Indians for a catching gig? Drew Butera has re-signed in a minor, with a minor league deal with the Rangers. Does he get, you know, any action this year? And, you know, does Thad Ward come up from the Red Sox system in September? Um, but that's about it. Yeah, that, well, that was my next question for you because I I did see that that Drew got released but then picked up by the yeah. Rangers, and that's a really important situation for him, right? Because you had said in a tweet that he's one year short of ten years MLB service time. So, what does he have to get to officially qualify for that, and then what does it mean for him going forward? So, right now, Drew Butera is gotten as far as service time. 9.067 years of service time. So about 9.1 years of service time. And for a full year, I believe you have to spend 172 days on a roster uh, to get a full year. If he gets 10 years of service time, that means you get lifetime pension uh, as a major league baseball player. Uh, I believe once he hits his early 60s, he gets pension uh, for the rest of his life. And that is a big, 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 big deal. Uh, and, um, I mean, I said it last year, I think I said it the year before that the fact that Drew Butera has hung around for 10 years in the major leagues with a career batting line of 198, 255, 294, that's a 550 OPS just goes to show you a couple of things. One, he's great in the clubhouse and he's a phenomenal, fantastic catcher. What about, let me ask you this, like. For a guy like Drew, who has kind of hovered above, obviously, the M, the major league minimum, right, for much of his career, um, 
you want to know how much he's made in his career? Yeah, how much? Uh, according to Baseball Reference, about eight point four million dollars. All right, eight point four million. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I'm, I'm under the assumption that he's probably invested that fairly well. You know, Drew, <laughs> Drew knows what he's doing. Um, but what is that for for a player like him who has that much money in the bank? How much does that pension really matter? I, I so I have to look at the exact numbers, but I mean, again, just go to show like. I, I, it's not like Bob. It's not like Bobby Bonilla is turning down the Mets million dollars every year. Like I don't care how much money you have, <laughs> it's still nice to have more money. Uh, and, and it's not like he has you know a rod money. Like again, that, that it, it's just more money that allows you for the rest of your life to provide for your family and your kids, grandkids, whatever. Like it's a big time deal. They'd be fully mm-hmm. vested. Um, I, I, I really quick. I looked on USA Today for an article on pension. Um, this, this article is from, uh, Jorge Ortiz from 2018. Uh, the plan pays fully vested members a minimum of nearly $68,000 a year for those who start drawing at 45 with a sliding scale that goes up to $220,000 for beneficiaries who wait until age 62. Right. The payout is even more meaningful for coaches, managers, and trainers who are also eligible and have lower salaries. But the 10 year mark goes beyond any monetary rewards, especially for those who battled long odds to even make it to the majors. Uh, for example, Sergio Roma was a 28th round pick with a typical prospects fastball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all these guys who, you know, kind of like came from nowhere, right? They kind of list some of those guys off sure. and they get that pension, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, you know, like I said, not that, you know, 68 grand is pretty good when you're, you know, if you're at 45 and you start pulling from it and, you know, a nice little extra pocket change if you've, if you've, uh, you know, done well with your money that you made from your, from your playing days. Right. Um, see, now I'm really interested to see like if the other, if the other leagues have pension plans. Well, uh, with all due respect, to Drew, I mean, with respect, I mean, you know, I think Drew's fine either way. I think he'll be yeah. all right. I'm more worried about Murph as our boy, our friend, Chad Matola, who we've had on the show, who you can watch. Friend our, of the podcast. That's right. Chad you can Mottola. watch our interview. Murph and I did with him a few couple months ago on our YouTube page. Is he getting back to the playoffs this year with the Rays as the hitting coach? Is he getting back to the playoffs? That's a tough one, and I don't think it has anything to do with the offense. If anything, the offense could be better this year with a healthy Austin Meadows and a full season of Randy Rosarena. And so the pitch—it's the pitching that—that's the concern, certainly in the starting rotation for the Rays. I think at they could be second in the AL East, but I do think. If you had to like put a gun to my head, I think they're probably third. And Behind the Dunedin Blue Jays, there the Dunedin Blue probably Jays. on the outside looking in against the Dunedin Buffalo <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> oh, Gosh, uh, you know we're gonna. I, I, I'm I'm looking for all right, Murph. I'm gonna ask you to make one prediction. Give me, give me one UCF prospect who has oh, the boy. best chance of making it up to the majors and making a little bit of a splash. Is it Thad Ward or is it someone it's else? Absolutely, it's absolutely Thad. I mean, maybe someone breaks through this year. The hard part, guys, with all the prospects, and there are lots with Tyler Osick and Jeffrey Hakinson and, and Trevor Holloway. There are a lot of guys. I was going to say maybe Hakinson could, could have a shot considering how highly he was drafted. But we have no idea what any of these guys did last year. There was no minor league baseball last year. All these guys played at the alternate site uh, in in quotation marks. It's like it's like it's like Area 54. You don't know what happened in there. There are just stats that we have for those sites, so no one knows what these guys did in 2020. Area 51, uh, so, you mean? 
Area 51. I, I mean, I, yes, I, I switched Club 54 and Area 51. It's fantastic. Studio 54. Studio 54. Uh, everyone, <laughs> everyone partying. Everyone, everyone having a disco time <laughs> in, in Club 54. Oh, uh, you're usually pretty reliable on the pop culture references, Murph. I'm a little surprised right God now. Darn it. Anyway, as I <laughs> pull this train back on the tracks. Um, so it's hard to say what these guys, how they've improved or what they look like, because no one has seen them, at least publicly, as far as, you know, the baseball populace, other than their own team, has seen them do anything since 2019. So I don't know what Tyler Osick looks like or what Jason Barr looks like. But if there is a prospect who could come up, it's Thad Ward. For the second year in a row, he's among the Red Sox top 10 prospects. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if Thad gets a September call up this year. Uh, he could be a starter, could be a reliever. Um, but you know, his time is coming. Uh, unfortunately, right now, I think that's the only guy on the horizon. And the, and and in addition to that, the minors look a lot different this year because of the new professional baseball agreement. So what does that mean for some of these guys like Thad who are going to be, you know, trying to pull their way through a different minor league system this year? Well, also, you know, the minor leagues don't start till May. And then we have fewer teams. So, mm -hmm. you know, I worry about guys like, you know, I don't know what has happened. I, I don't know what's up with like, uh, you know, guys who got like uh, undrafted free agent contracts like Matthew Micah or Chris Williams from a couple years ago. Like, are they still playing baseball? Like, I'm honestly asking if someone would like to let me know. I don't know. Because again, <laughs> I don't know what any of these guys have done since 2019. And those are the kind of guys who, after a pandemic, where you're already sort of on the fringes of minor league ball, do you decide to sort of move on to another career or do you stick it out? Are you able to just continue to go and are you going to show up and get an assignment for 2021? I don't, I don't know if all these guys are even going to get an assignment. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really difficult. That's why Jeff will behind the curtain here. When Jeff asked me to, to put together a list of UCF players in the pros before opening day, I'm like, Jeff, I could, but a lot of the guys I list may not actually be playing baseball anymore because they haven't played since 2019, according to everything I see. So I don't know what they're doing in 2021. Oh, it's yeah, kind I of a big just, mystery. I guess we got we got to wait until May, right? Until the minor league rosters come out and we see yeah. who's where and right. You know, we see who gets who gets, see who gets assigned who gets assigned where. I mean, there's there's quite a few guys. I I just don't know where they are, or if they're still there, or where they're going, what levels they're at. I just it's difficult. It's, it's difficult. what happens when uh, when a pandemic strikes and then MLB <laughs> decides to basically amputate, you know, 70 minor league baseball. Four, 40 teams, 40, 40 teams. teams got wow. 40 teams. Well, that's uh, it's a little trick. So in the meantime, Murph, we can't let the end the show without. Of course, it is opening day baseball. We're starting on time, which is kind of a, a surprise, maybe a little bit. A so, pleasant surprise, I will say. On behalf of Jeffrey Sharon, Mark Daniels, Dan Forsella, all of these people I just mentioned are Yankee fans, including yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Are the Yankees finally going to end this 12-year drought and win the World Series, or are the Dodgers just going to repeat and go on a run dynasty run here? What are we Although, doing? What are we I mean, not only have they not won the World Series in 12 years, they haven't gotten to the World Series in 12 years. The, the, the better oh. odds of the the better odds that they actually get there, I, I think they will. Longest drought them. since the uh, since the since the eighties and the early nineties, right, Murph? I would imagine so, right? And I, 81, 82 to ninety five. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, Down times. Yeah. So uh, it's been a long time. Uh, look, if the Yankees stay healthy, I think they can get there. But guys, guys, 
Are the Yankees going to stay healthy? They're already hurt. <laughs> Zach, Zach Britton's out. Luke Voigt's got a knee issue. Aaron Judge is Everybody's sick. hurt again. He's fine, but he's sick. Can we do something about the training staff, please? They've they've they've, they've completely overhauled their training staff now. I mean, they, yeah, they, hell of a lot of good did good it did him. Huh? Are you telling oh, me the World Series could be in Dunedin? <laughs> or Buffalo? Are they ever going? Is that in play here? I I just found the I just found the Titus the title of this episode right here. Are you telling me the World Series could be in Dunedin? <laughs> Rob Rob Manfred's gonna hang himself with you. <laughs> no, no. Golly! All right. That's incredible. Well, that'll put it's a the bow Dodgers on this. year, probably. It's the year of LA. UCLA's in the final four. The Lakers are champions. Oh, the well, Dodgers yeah, that's I you know what? That's what we'll wrap on right here. Okay, because Houston made the final four. Yep. By the way, shout out to uh, our guys from the Scott and Holman podcast, uh, who are gonna see their team in the final four for the first time since nineteen eighty four. Uh and congrats deserving because that team has had its yes. butts ripped out a couple years in a row in this tournament. Yeah, and uh and congrats to Kelvin. You know, yeah. got the you know, coached this team to the final four. I picked them to make the championship game against Gonzaga, but I picked Gonzaga to win it all. Uh, real quick, finishing off with with you guys, what are the Cougars' chances? Where do you think they're going to end up? They lose to Baylor by about twelve. Oh wow! Ooh, I think they got a shot with Baylor, but I don't think it's going to matter. I feel this just feels like it's Gonzaga's title to lose. It's been Gonzaga's title lose the whole year. They've been I so they've been they've yeah. been ruthlessly efficient, but, Gonzaga, haven't but they? But pretty pretty cool deal though. Houston first Final Four since 1984. Jim Nance, the alum, gets to call it. Um, and shout out to Mick Cronin, Murph, one of our favorites covering. I'll never yep. forget you and I, Murph, were in Orlando at the Amway Center for the American Conference Championship. It was Mick Cronin in Cincinnati against Calvin Sampson in Houston. Cincinnati won it. Uh, Jim Nance called that, ironically enough. And now Cronin, you know, Cincinnati fans, some of them were disgruntled. Oh, Mick Cronin can't get us deep into the tournament. Well, he goes to UCLA, and he gets the Bruins to the Final Four for the first time since, what, 2006, I think? Uh, since Yeah, since, like, those Imba Mute. Yeah, the Ben Howland yeah. teams or something yeah, like that. what's great is, is we get a UCLA-Gonzaga rematch, and all I can think of is Gus Johnson screaming yeah. in my ear about Bautista with the catch. But the catch. And Adam Morrison, right? Morrison crying. Yeah. yeah. So, but awesome for Houston. From what I'm told, too, Calvin Sampson and the Houston people are paying way. Uh, the, 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 the people that work at Houston that are flying into Indianapolis, paid for family members. They're making a big, uh, you know, they're rewarding those people. So it's cool to see them represent the league. A pretty good finish for the league. Houston in the final four. Memphis wins the NIT. Not yeah. bad. Not, Not a bad, bad finish for the American here. By the way, Baylor yeah. favorite by Baylor favorite by five over Houston in okay. line. I'm gonna go Houston Gonzaga. I'm gonna go Houston Gonzaga as the. Uh, That's what I went in my bracket. I, I picked Gonzaga. Although over Houston in the I feel like I could. I mean, maybe I'm overplaying it. Maybe all this time it was supposed to be Baylor Gonzaga, and that's what we'll get. Kind of like Connecticut and Duke many years ago. But yeah, <laughs> what are you gonna do? I'm just happy we have a Final Four, and hopefully it'll be a good one. But yeah. congrats to Houston, and congrats to Mick Cronin. And I'm sorry, Bearcat fans, it must be tough. Yeah. 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 Well, it's amazing. We talked about how we, I never thought that Mick Cronin would ever work in LA, right? Cause his style doesn't <laughs> match what UCLA does and how has UCLA won these games by grinding it out and absolutely just grinding it down like old Cincinnati basketball. Yeah. Like, this is, this is not UCLA basketball. This is not glitz and glamor. 
This is this is Mick Cronin. This is Mick Cronin basketball. And it's Mick, Mick Cronin is sitting in John Wooden's office right now. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. Jeez. Yeah. Congrats to Mick, though. What a coach. What a great coach those two guys are, Mick and and uh, and Kelvin. Yeah. The American, the cradle of coaches, man. Seriously, <laughs> if you go back to that tournament in Orlando, Murph, we had Tubby Smith, who basically got fired afterwards, a national champion head coach. We had Greg Marshall at Wichita State and all their fans. Of course, he's now in – I don't know where he's at now. He's obviously in purgatory. But he's a Final Four head coach. Cronin, Final Four head coach now. Samson, Final Four at Houston. Pretty wild. That's a pretty fun tournament we covered there, Murph. And all, all I can hear is people listening. This podcast is going, well, Johnny Dawkins hasn't gotten us to a Final Four yet. Oh. You got there's a player. Uh, little oh, there we go. Uh, just, oh, wait, did we? Did yeah. I? Have we mentioned that uh, Murph and I met Jim Nance at that tournament? Just to throw that for the one million time. Okay, before. all right. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats to Jim Nance and on, on his that new note, contract deal with CBS. On his new Hello, contract, yeah. yeah. So Tony Romo will be sticking around even longer, I think. So, all right. That'll do it for us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Subscribe to our weekday newsletter there as well. And subscribe to this podcast as well. We are wherever you can find your podcasts on Android or Apple. Um, If you don't subscribe to us, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. If you do subscribe to us, make sure you leave a comment uh, and a rating for us. We appreciate that. And tell a UCF friend of yours about us and have to have them subscribe to us as well. We always appreciate it uh, extending the community here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret and also at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo and follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy. Boys, it's been Grant. Thank you so much. Good seeing you. We'll have a uh, another busy weekend of sports coming up. Sports. Enjoy opening More sports. day, Murph. Enjoy yes, Major League happy Baseball, opening Murph. day. Enjoy it. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm already crying. Oh it's my back. God. Oh, my God. It's back. Baseball Citrus is back. Citrus Series, baby. Marlins Ray. <laughs> It'll be fun. Chad Matola, we'll be watching for you, bud. All right. On behalf of all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you again next time.